Sonia under um, control after her third baby particularly. She was in hospital for a good while afterwards. Her mm. third was born at 33 weeks in the end. So every pregnancy, her preeclampsia got worse and worse and yeah. worse. And really, she was not so keen about having a third, but they went anyway for it. And um, yeah, it was pretty difficult for her afterwards, but they looked after her really well. Yeah. And I mean, I think like she's in the place that she's meant to be. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. But I know that the baby was, the baby's head was measuring small on the scan. Yeah. So I know that they were kind of, group yeah, some kind of something. Um, Sometimes you know too much as well. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Like if I didn't know, like I'm sure even her mum, her mum and her husband both seem quite calm. And I know it's because they just haven't. They actually don't know. And even she, when she was messaging me, it was clear she didn't understand how dangerous it was. So I'm just like casually like, oh cool, and you're in the best place, and brilliant, and you're doing great. <laughs> I'm like, ah, freaking out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I know. Let's see. Do you want me holding these? Yeah, I think in here, like, we'll probably end up using the Zoom sound anyway. Okay. But I just, it's worthwhile having the lack of sound yeah. just in case. Yeah, okay. That's good. Uh, um, we hope, roll. We do we hope it might be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my happy birthday. I just told you. I've got pelvis in my hand. <laughs> That's brilliant. This is Elaine and her pelvis. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, they're, they're, they're A lot of women pelvis give their pelvises names. It's hilarious, yeah. Do they? Penelope and things like uh, that. I you said Elvis when you were walking out. I thought you said no, I think there probably is someone called Elvis out there, but uh, like you'd be on a course, you know, and then a tutor will just pull out her pelvis out of her suitcase or whatever and be like, and this is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a real relationship. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we shoot. Do you want to do the intro? Is, is there anything you want to like square up before? Any, any no, we're just, are we going to just go with the same thread as the last time? Yeah. I, do you know what I did this time? I just. I just set all those statistics and left them in the car because last time I was, being, I was like really kind of just trying to get through so I'm just going to talk off the cuff more really? today yeah. and um, I suppose uh, yeah that's it really. Yeah. That's what we want. Like, yeah we I think I was too maybe conscious of bringing through all these stats. It didn't come across. No we didn't. We don't like heavy weight science either so it seems relevant. Yeah exactly I'll bring it into the mix. Yeah, and also if there's stuff that like you know if there's stuff you want to back up afterwards, mm. you know we can always link in the notes. We can always link to an article mm. or you know do you know that way? Yeah. So if stuff like if, if you say something and then you can't remember the statistic, yeah, we can always like put that in. Yeah, afterwards. but as you said, it's a the main thing is just to get people kind of understand what goes on here and basis, why we the do awareness it. And yeah, the lack of fear right now, fear thing. Yeah, fear to death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, exciting to go. Yeah, yeah, right. Do you want to roll with the intro? Yes. Brilliant. Okay. Feels really weird now. I haven't done this in forever. And three, two, one. Hi, everybody. Um, so, welcome back to Wandering into Wellness, and we are here in the Milltown Physiotherapy Clinic, which is exciting. Last time I was here, I was lying on my back with not many clothes on, <laughs> and we will get into why that is later. Um, but here we have with us Elaine, and Elaine is one of the. Are you a pelvic floor physio, or would you say you're a woman's health physio who specialises in pelvic floor? Um, what do you say? I'm probably a physio first and foremost, and then um, I, I, I specialise in women's health, but I also do men's health. So we come under the bracket of a pelvic health physiotherapist. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I do have a specific interest in women's health. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like the women's pelvis is where it's at. Yes. It's like male pelvis doesn't have the same. I don't know. In terms of 
when we're talking about birth, all these sorts of things, yeah. like the change and stuff that's required to go on there. Uh, like I remember, we were, we were we just put out our latest podcast with Ashley Jackson. We were talking about, uh, or Lydia mentioned that thing how the, you know the pelvis literally kind of softens and almost splits open, and then the tailbone kind of flicks back. All these things that a male, a male pelvis will just never know about yeah, like from that. a birth point of view. So it's it's an amazing structure. It's an amazing thing. Like I think I just love to understand more about like like how how is it I, I think we both come to understand like what like what fascia means we talk about it a lot in our other podcasts and like the relationship between parts of our body and other parts of our body but but the pelvis is just such a complex and kind of dynamic part of us yeah i just love to understand more about what, like why is it such a, a, a like a relevant part to women's health particularly i suppose well it's i mean the pelvis itself is a bony structure with loads of ligaments and um it's just it's influenced by hormones you know and because it houses our organs for reproduction and urination, um, our, you know, it's responsible for our sexual health. It's got just a huge amount of functions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those hormones can loosen it and ask it to do more and stretch it. And just, it's so adaptable, you know, and malleable would be the word. And is it the only kind of bit of our body where we have that hormone relationship, where the hormone kind of like plays with places no. um, So when we are pregnant, particularly, the hormone relaxin influences ligaments all over our body, actually. Okay. Um, and that's, I suppose, it's, it's non-specific in its, its uh, action. Um, so yeah, when you're pregnant, um, I don't know how you find your pregnant clients though. Are they more stretchy generally in that when they're, yeah. It's not, you, because you might not have known them previous to being pregnant. Oh, of course you wouldn't not. necessarily notice. Yeah. And obviously the relaxing comes in later in the pregnancy, yeah. but you would necessarily notice the difference. But what you would be continually saying to them is in pregnancy, go to about 70% of your capacity for stretch yeah. rather than reaching for your end point because it's so easy to overstretch yeah. and then end up with damage there yeah. afterwards yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so also, I mean, it's an amazing structure. It's, 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 I mean, I, I think with regard to yoga, it's got a hugely spiritual element to mm-hmm. it. Um, and, and it's the, it's the opening and the exit to life really, isn't it? It's you really know, interesting, that so it, it deserves, uh, the, I suppose, uh, care that we maybe don't always give it, you yeah. know, um, it's supporting us day in, day out when we're moving, when we're sitting, when we're jumping, when we're trying to do kind of heavy loaded exercise, um, as well as having the fundamental structure, you know, structural relationship to childbirth uh, uh, and everything. And it's such a compass, I mean, like, is it, it's not called a joint structure, is it? Is it, is it known as a joint? Is it like, because yeah. it, it has all these like components that are all joints, I suppose. I mean, the sacroiliac joint is, is on either side and they're, yeah, yeah they're joints. And yeah. um, the jury is out really on how much it, it moves and how relevant that is. There would be, okay. you know, schools of thought within physio that say, this doesn't need treatment, it doesn't move, you know, your problems will be coming from other places. And then there's a whole other school of, you know, that say, gosh, you know, huge amounts of pain can come from here, especially osteopathy style approaches would say that there is enough movement here to, to cause pain. Um, and we know that it becomes more mobile during pregnancy mm-hmm. and, and with delivery. But yeah, it is. It's, it's a bony structure, first and foremost. It's got the ilia on either side which sit neatly into your structure here on the so- on either side, your sacrum, and then attaches up into your um, lumbar spine. 
and then your coccyx then at the bottom which is like the tail um, our, our old tail I suppose yeah. that, that we used to have you know um, when we were apes yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's that's there um, as uh, you know a structure for us to sit on and then of course like you said movement during delivery yeah. um, and then our pelvic floor itself sits in underneath this is amazing because I've never seen this model before. Okay, so yeah. if I can get it in there um, properly. So that sits underneath like, um, I mean, they say it's a hammock, but this is a lovely um, kind of angle to look at it from because you can see that it's a dome-shaped structure yeah. and it mirrors our diaphragm up here, yeah. um, which is like a dome-like uh, st uh, structure in, uh, within our rib cage. Mm -hmm. And those two structures work very much hand in hand, um, very much like a, a coffee plunger effect. Mm -hmm. So when we inhale and our belly expands, our pelvic floor descends, our diaphragm, well, that's what's meant to happen. Okay, yeah. Not in all cases, I'm <laughs> yeah. doing that. And so how much movement is there in that internal pelvic floor? Are you talking about like it actually ballooning upwards and downwards, or is it always a Ballooning is probably a, a strong word. Okay. Um, because I would have... Um, the privilege I suppose of feeling many pelvic floors internally as women breathe in and out it's a very subtle okay. feeling but there right. is definite movement there yeah. I do refer to it as the flower opening because it is as subtle as that it's mm -hmm. as subtle as little flower like petals just opening right, yeah. and but there is definite movement there mm -hmm. and you can feel when the structure um, you know it's like putting your hands on any muscle because yes. it is it's just it's it's muscle um spanning out on all sides of the pelvis deep into the corners where your bum muscles sit and it attaches straight out into here so you know a muscle it's made up of sacromeres we know from looking at them under a microscope that are pretty much like this and an accordion style they move in and out and that's exactly what you feel with the pelvic floor too like any other muscle like your calf muscle or your biceps and yeah. um, it doesn't have the same range say, yeah. as here okay. to here, um, but it has enough range to work in those minute little areas like the entrance of your bladder yeah. and be able to react to close it off when you need it, be able to open and relax and when you need it. It also plays a huge function in supporting your back passes, so your rectum. So in um, another diagram that you might see online, you can see the rectum comes down and it has an angle uh, nearly it's nearly a right angle it's quite yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and and the muscle loops around that and that's our puborectalis muscle that attaches kind of from the back and through okay. and so it supports our rectum and our in order to be able to let go of um feces our muscles need to be able to relax there okay. and similarly then there's a tonic this kind of low level contraction of our muscles there that help to keep things in mm -hmm. and okay. so if there's disruption to any of that then we may have issues with with that and so when we're like putting i told to like put our knees up above our pelvis yeah to, to completely eliminate is that a relationship to it the, the pelvic floor or is it like what part of it, it it's to, it's to open up our hips mainly oh, sorry, you know okay. so you're taking your pelvis into a better angle mm. and opening up the hips but also yeah that's going to affect your pelvic floor yeah. and allow you to relax into okay. things um better because um generally our, our sitting postures they don't always like this right angle sitting thing that we do a lot of the time 
or a slouched sit. It tends to shorten our pelvic floor. And actually, when we look at Eastern cultures, you know, they um, are said to have more of an attachment or where they're better functioning pelvic floors because they squat more and they change their their positions more and um, there would be again um, some experts in the field would say that we need to work our pelvic floors more indirectly by moving differently you know because okay. we're, we're, we're often having detrimental like constipation is such a big issue for us now in, in the Western world, yeah. but you know a lot of it, as well as being diet related, mm. um, it's it's down to not moving enough and not allowing our pelvic floor to actually move, and it gets stuck then, and it just can't move outside of that. Sure, that, that range. Okay. Yeah. And so you obviously have that like tone tonality thing, but there's a balance, right? Because then you probably have, I'm sure you see people who are like athletes or overtraining or probably coming into pregnancy with a lot of tone or maybe hypertoning that tissue yeah and like there would be absolutely like you know there would be evidence there to say that those that uh, for instance horse riders uh, gymnasts um, uh, those that swam a lot as, as children even as teenagers mm. yeah. seem to have this underlying predisposition actually to pelvic girdle pain mm. but mm. also in our assessment you know if if you know that somebody has these histories or is a yoga pilates instructor you're anticipating unless they have a huge awareness of how to release their pelvic floor and they've been doing work on that you're most likely anticipating a, a level of pelvic floor that is uh, relatively on the tighter scale okay. um, and that maybe but you know what i have to say finn like I think it's not talked about how tight pelvic floors are across the board. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I think you know we, we try to put it into this. It's this person or it's that person, but in actual fact, probably everybody. There'll be a smaller minority of people that come in to me that, that and they think that they're going to have these really loose, flaccid pelvic floors, particularly after they've had a child. Yeah. But that's not what we find. Mm. Um, and you know. I think there is a number of reasons there. I think stress is a huge impact on our lives, and we're holding it inside, and we're holding our like our pelvic floors tightly around the anus a lot of the time. You know that, even that that you know that word the anus. anus. Yeah, like you know, well, it, well, it, well, it shows. You know, yeah. and I think more, you know, more and more people are living a life from a really hyper place. Mm. And it and is showing up. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they're sense. they're holding tension inside that they aren't even aware of, mm. you know. Um, but it crops up then because they get an issue, or after childbirth maybe they're not recovering like they thought they would, or they might be getting pain, and then that you know leads us to that place to to, to having a look there and, and trying to release that. Um, so I think you know. It's a bigger issue than maybe, it's definitely a bigger issue than it's documented. It's a very hard one to assess. Mm. And, um, you know, because the ethics around it, I guess, it's not, you know, and it really has been brought to the fore more and more by my boss Maeve here. I mean, she has really pioneered an approach that is related to releasing the pelvic floor as opposed to always thinking about tightening, tightening, tightening. You know? Can we just go back to talking just specifically for people who don't know, like what are the functions? What would be the main functions of the pelvic floor just in yeah, like if you had I to mean, choose four of them? Yeah, well, your main, you know, your main functions are urination and um, fecal incontinence. 
you know so keeping things in where they're meant to keep in, in yeah. your bladder um, and in the rectum um, and being able to move and do all the things that you want to be able to do and that's your pelvic floor your levator anal muscles are going to help are helping with that um, it's got a huge role in sexual and reproductive health so being able to support your baby childbirth um, and in sexual health then being just being able to be sexually healthy and happy um, and it supports all our organs uh, mm. within our, our, our torso you know within our abdomen um, I think that that's never talked about that part of it is like it being in relation to all the stomach muscles it's like you know there's the square or the rectangle and that is the bottom yeah, floor of it yeah. right so it's part of our breathing apparatus really you know um, and, and and they say also it has a role as nearly a sump pump to kind of help with fluid balance um, and drainage within the body because it's got this kind of you know slow lying kind of yeah. uh, tonic activity and do you do you work from that point of view on like blood reversals or that sort of thing, does that relieve pressure on no, you know, there's probably roles there for, yeah. you know, lymphatic drainage and and using that. But that would definitely be a smaller role okay. there. Once you can get a muscle working and doing its action, yeah. your body's going to take that and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. You know, um, so we tend, yeah, I mean, you can use different positions like legs up the wall and things like that, which mm -hmm. will ultimately be helping improve blood flow to the region. And um, that may help to have your pelvic floor work more effectively. Um, but I don't think that would be our main approach uh, as physios. Um, but yeah, it's certainly it's, the ultimate goal is to have your pelvic floor working to its, its, its you know, its, uh, with, with its main function and role to its best. Yeah. To its best. Yeah. So can you speak then to the pregnancy aspect? Um, mm. Like what, what are its roles when it comes to that later stage of pregnancy? And, yeah. And how, how Again, you know, the pelvic floor stretches a huge amount in concurrence with our, our rib cage spreading wide and our pelvis widening to allow our baby to grow into our pelvis. Your pelvic floor, it grows to, you know, it stretches a, a huge amount. Um, and um, with that, it's, it's just trying to support that growing baby. And coming into childbirth, then its role is to be able to stretch and allow your baby to descend further into the pelvis. Mm -hmm. um, as part of the uterus contracting and relaxing um, and I suppose our role um, as physios in conjunction with great people like yourself who are working in the community with women you know, is to educate women about how their pelvic floor can be used as not an opposition to delivery that yeah. you can set it up to have it work with you as opposed to this barrier that needs to be um kind of fought through okay. um i think you know when it comes to childbirth your pelvic floor no more than what your uterus and your body is doing there is a huge fundamentally natural thing that's going on there but i think western medical interventions don't always help us to use those natural methods do you what yeah. do you think Lydia? yeah 100 yeah. percent. and i think I think even you know within the yoga classes and Pilates classes and all the stuff that's going on historically like you said the focus has been on we need to tighten it's just like everyone's going make that pelvic floor tighter make it stronger and like you said I mean my experience of people and of myself has always been that actually there's too much tone there 
as opposed to that we're walking around with these classic things that we need to tighten. And there's so many classes that you go to, and, pre and any, any pregnant woman that you talk to will go, and you say, oh, you know, have you been addressing the pelvic floor in any way? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing the pelvic floor lifts, or I'm doing my squeezes. But there's no mention of release. In my classes, I'm just endlessly boring mums talking about releases. And the pelvic floor squeezes are those to assist with contractions? Is that the traditional thought? No, it's because they... they're thinking that postnatally, post you know, if you're if you have nice tone in your pelvic floor, you're going to get better blood flow there. That means you're going to heal better. You're less likely to tear. And if you do tear, you're more likely. This is the idea, there the is, notion you know, that's out there. There's a good bit of research there to say that yeah. if you do your pelvic floor exercises, and I think that's yeah. what needs to be it's, it's an exercise. Mm. It's not just... Uh, the squeeze or the kegel um, because people do have this in their head that it's the lift yeah. that they need to get stronger, stronger, stronger um, to uh, reduce the instance of incontinence afterwards because research in its narrow tunnel of vision has been able to link doing your pelvic floor exercises with reduced instance of incontinence if you started during pregnancy and then leading on to afterwards if you're you know good at doing them regularly afterwards in an effective manner you'll improve incontinence if you have some or you'll prevent it you're thinking about future proofing later down the line okay. but like you said it's about how you do it because yeah. if you go hell for leather and you end up at this pelvic floor that's up at the roof because you've tightened it so much and actually what I find with women and I don't know if it's a surrender thing with women mm. too that further we get into pregnancy especially in our first pregnancy we're like so up to 90 am I doing it all right and have I got everything done and I've got all that that's manifesting in our body and so if I assess a pelvic floor 34 weeks to do perineal massage on a, a massage on a woman more often than not I'm finding a tight pelvic floor yeah because and you teach this a lot, it's to be able to surrender, to, to, to imagine that opening of your, to not thank God I have to keep squeezing here, to keep it all in, to keep my baby supported. And I think a lot of it is in our language that we give mm. women too. Mm. It's, and it's balance, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's about balancing. But also from that later stage in pregnancy, maybe stepping down the strengthening aspect that lift quite as much but to have that balance of the huge amount of being able to surrender and release yeah. because it's such a huge part of childbirth. Because if you can surrender and release and you're heightening tension, it, in, you know, it, it, it could lead to you know, yeah. more resistance. And, and it I think makes sense. I mean, like, it, it, like that muscle is largely blocking the way if it decides yeah. to be, yeah, it's, it's the sense. only thing there. You know, and I think fear has a big contribution as well, though, you know, because um, I, I was listening to an audio book recently there, The Fourth Trimester, and it's it's just a lovely book because you're looking at the mental preparation of childbirth is huge, but mentally, that's manifesting in your body. So if you're mentally in a really strong place going into childbirth, it influences how you are down here because we know that when we're breathing deeply, diaphragmatically, um, we are... In, influencing our parasympathetic nervous system and that's where it's at you know it's about relaxing your body into childbirth being able to deal with the fears building your resilience but ultimately that has the influence on the pelvic floor too so i'd love to see physiotherapists because we're very much people that associate us with the physical the physical mm. the physical mm. but you cannot separate them no you know, we're learning more and more it's like western medicine only accepts like 
heart attacks equals stress. That's the only time that we make that connection. Yeah, but like it every is. other thing, it's like IBS is only being like they're Ooh. beginning to think. Oh, maybe Life there is a Oh my god! It takes or so even much you to know the gut health, you know yeah. the gut health and your brain health. But I think I mean I mean everything though, because if you think about the way that even just so in my experience being a yoga teacher people come to class, what is the one bit of the class they're going to skip if they're going to skip relaxation. the relaxation? And it's the same with the pelvic floor exercises. They're like, okay, cool, I can attach to the lift. I'll just forget about the letting go bit. And then the same in pregnancy. We read everything about pregnancy. We read how to stay fit. We do all our exercise classes. We take yeah. the supplements. And we don't prepare for the birth anywhere near as much as that and then forget about the postnatal part. Yeah. No one talks about it at all. So we've got this, like, we're able to do but we're not able to step into that letting go bit. And that relates naturally completely back to how we approach the pelvic floor. Yeah. Because also we can't see it. Like, we I mean, you could. Right. But when we're walking around, we relate to what we see, no, you know, our front body in this. And so we're going, I don't want to get stretch marks. I'll rub all the creams on. and I want to stay fit and I don't want to get fat in my arms. So I'll do the different <laughs> things. But we forget, like, this is, this is yeah. the base. I mean, yeah. this is the fundamental bit down there. Yeah. And when we think about childbirth, I mean, the things that you, you talk to women and what is the fear? Like, what are the fears about yeah. childbirth? Yeah. Usually it's tearing is, is kind of yeah. one of the top ones there. Yeah. And, like, they're looking at babies' heads and they're going, well, how on earth? Is Which a baby's I mean, head going to come out of me? Like, how is that going to happen? But when you think about how that was, well, I don't know about you, but when it was introduced to us in school, I mean, we were literally sat there in biology and we were shown a video of this woman screaming her head, yeah. you know, and you're seeing this head come out and you're terrified. Like, of course, of course you are. And that, that kind of education that's given, and hopefully it'll be better in the next generation, but to our, you know, my generation that we're coming up with, that kind of stuff behind you. Yeah. And I know on my first pregnancy, I found it really hard to digest all the stuff that I had to take on board. Mm. I, I, I nearly felt like just shying away from it all. I think it can, I think when it comes to childbirth and pregnancy and everything, personality has a lot to do with it. Mm. And um, it's finding the pitching it right for each individual. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it? Really because hard. for some of us that can digest all the information, we love it, we can't get enough of it. Yeah. And then I spoke to a friend the other day and I was really just, you know, subtly, you know, you know, I'm a women's health physio now. You, have you thought about going for a women's health check? And she fluffed over it like she couldn't even talk about it. Yeah. But this was the... a friend. Yeah. You know, but sometimes it's sometimes easier to talk to strangers, but you have to introduce them to the concept at some level. How else are they going to find out? She was just it? like, oh. Oh, but this is this is why apparently on the page it's the same. You know, but I've had conversations with my groups of friends, and they were like, "You do, you do, you do what?" Yeah, but it maybe it was men talking about women that way because they're like, "Oh, there's something gross goes on," you know, which is wrong still. But women talking about their own bodies no, in that but way it's is true. really but interesting. Yeah. This is the this is the key thing, and it's why I felt like when we were looking at lists of topics for this podcast series, for me it was like pelvic floor physio has to be there mm. because like in classes even i find that just saying the word vagina and you can see everyone <laughs> is they do the thing yeah. they've like gone oh my god she's she saying vagina <laughs> you know and you're in a room of people who have used their vaginas to get pregnant know. you know and everyone's examining through the vaginas and the baby is coming out through the vagina most likely yeah. you know so you need to get some kind of a relationship to your vagina. I'd love I mean, to see a study talking. on how many classes in of you saying vagina that they start to relax the yeah. vagina actually like not. Let go. <laughs> I just try and say it like yeah, as know. often as possible. But that's yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's Keep about it, yeah. normalizing. Yeah. Normalizing. So yeah. Absolutely. And um, but you see, when you bring it up in class, anything about 
perineal massage or pelvic floor stuff you can just see and uh, most of the class are like oh yeah. they almost feel sick like they they just can't the idea of it and usually when i say well why you know why wouldn't you do the perineal mm. stretch massage they're like well okay so there's a physical barrier when you get mm. to a certain size you're mm -hmm. like it's actually physically hard to reach mm -hmm. your hand around there yeah. so then you're like well cool then you get your partner involved and yeah. you know partners often feel really left out in pregnancy because the woman's doing all yeah. the growing and all the stuff yeah. and that's a really lovely way that they can get involved and that they can understand the mechanics of what's yeah. going to happen but everyone's like oh no gee, I mean I wouldn't want them going down there no, yeah, <laughs> lady no. how did they get in there I mean that baby got in there somehow so but why no but but why do we why are we able to go okay cool we all have sex like we've all had sex before yeah. we know when we're sitting with our groups of friends everyone's have hopefully everyone's having sex and that's normal right but then when it, we take it into birth it's like birth is a medical thing and then sex is this fun thing and we find it really hard to make a connection between those two things and yet when you talk to like you read Ina Mae Gaskin's books or any of these people Sheila Kitzinger any of them their whole thing is like in order to create an environment that creates a good birth you need to be in an environment that you could either take a poo or have sex in so you need to like be relaxed you need to be not interrupted you need to not have bright light shined in your face you need to feel loved and also in order to promote that oxytocin you might be kissing or you might be playing with nipples or you might be doing all this kind of stuff but we're all like oh that's so weird while you're giving birth yeah, to your baby I how could you do it, it? i wonder is it a right I, I nearly wonder is it a rite of passage that you nearly have to go and have your first baby mm. for some women mm. in Ireland maybe maybe it's worldwide approach to this type of thing but I do think in Ireland we are a little stunted yeah. when it comes to conversations around these things you know yeah. history and yeah. shame and all these kind of things mm. that kind of have an influence there um, and I think certainly for me speaking personally and for patients that I've come across there are a certain cohorts of women that are so in touch with that type of thing like mm -hmm. they're so liberal they're, they're the ones that are there with you there's the other side of women that will be coming in because they feel this is a tick the box exercise this is the thing they need to do yeah, because right. they were told that this is going to lead to them having the ultimate best birth find that those women sometimes can be a little bit they're the high achievers they want mm -hmm. to do everything right they want to set themselves up um, to, to have the best delivery because they were told this is the way it happens and I don't think that's nearly that's not as, as, as good an approach as you could have either yeah. but for me personally speaking I nearly, ha nearly needed to go over into the other world mm. of being a mother to start to visualize my body mm. as more than a sexual object as a child maker and giver to the world yeah, yeah, yeah. that's for me anyway i needed to nearly i needed to have that visual of mm -hmm. and i had friends who were pregnant at the same time were doing the um you know gentle birth and everything and um i couldn't quite actually get my head around all of that mm -hmm. and i had a c-section first time okay. in the end anyway so uh, even as a physio and i i, I hadn't nice. even but i hadn't really again i i started my journey into women's health physio when I had my first child, really and truly, mm. I had tried to uh, kind of um, curve off into it. But until I got my foot into Milltown, yeah. where we have just such an amount of women coming into us, and as a physio, the more cases you see, the more confident, especially with this kind of thing, mm. to have the umbrella and the confidence of the experts like Maeve beside you, that you mm. can not be afraid as a physio, mm. even 
to be there with someone in such an intimate situation to have the confidence to go if i'm out of my depth here i can run this by someone else yeah. and anyway i know that we've been trained enough to know what we're doing is the best practice yeah. and so i think being able to encourage women to come down that route oh it's just it's hard like it's, it is and, hard. and is, is the language around it sorry is, is it yeah. like is it quite medicalized still and is that is that the transition that's that needs to move as well i think or? it's an individual approach that's okay what I feel. interesting i would probably you know i have a background of meditation and yoga and that style anyway to my physio approach generally mm. i believe in energy i've had reiki i so while I'm not an energy, I, I believe in energy mm. as well as the medical side. But as a physiotherapist, in order to justify what we do mm. and to qualify why we would want to assess a pelvic floor, there has to be some medical backup behind it. And there is a huge amount of medical backup behind it. We know that trauma to the pelvic floor is significantly reduced by perineal massage mm. pre previous or to delivery. Yeah. Um, but what I want to get across today is, is knowing that when you're doing your perineal massage, that it's not a 100% guarantee against yeah. perineal trauma and that there is still a high rate of, you know, particularly second degree tears. And, if, you know, if I just demonstrate to you here, usually when you tear and it's, it's funny when I'll often see an episiotomy will, will most likely be on the right hand side. Okay. And is that because of where the colon is? I the think it's or? because of the surgeon and or whoever is applying it will be coming at you this way. Okay, right. They'll that's be using their right hand. Oh wait, oh wait. Wow. Yeah. Okay, fair enough there. Um because that's what I mainly say. Or it will be centrally if you're going yeah. to have an episiotomy. And perineal massage has definitely been proven to show that uh, that it, it um, reduces the need for episiotomy. Okay. Um, and why we don't want episiotomy. I, I've had an episiotomy, it was very painful. Mm. They do say that natural tears tear uh, heal. heal quicker and mm. better. Because um, like it tears along the fiber, which is probably weakened to begin with, as opposed to a surgeon's knife saying where it goes. Yeah, and also you have like jagged edge, you know, if it's like a, a natural tear, it kind of tears in a jaggedy way, so you've got more surface area that's kind of coming rather than a clean, yeah. mm. you know, Gosh. if you just think of like a graze stitches, versus a, yeah, you know, the stitches will probably be more than what you've had unless you know and there is a percentage of women and again it's less than you know six percent women that will go on to have maybe a, a higher degree of tear which would be a third or a fourth degree tear and, mm -hmm. and what happens there is that when baby's crowning that the, the tear will come down towards the anal region here and and that can have impact on continence mm -hmm. fecally but you know episiotomies will can have influence yeah uh, uh, from a continence point of view too isn't it like, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when I was training, what I was taught was that with an episiotomy, it's a bit like when you cut with the scissors into a piece of paper, yeah. and then if you pull the paper apart, you know how that line of tear can just travel all yeah. the way, like it yeah, can go much further than if it tears sense. naturally. It's, if you just take the two pieces of paper and tear them, it's probably only going to go a little bit sure. to start with. And I think that there's a risk factor there, right? It, yeah, and and yet it is trying to mesh, and I have seen this debated in certain circles, yeah. you know, if you're in a situation as a woman and you're being given choices about whether you want a episiotomy, and, and a lot of women now are putting it on their birth premises that don't want a episiotomy, I would encourage women to have an open mind, just even a 5%. If my medical team are encouraging me that this is what I need right now, mm. because 
they would say that if there is a medical need for it that they, they do need to intervene at that time and i do think you know it's about having a little bit of confidence in them without you know setting yourself up for the best delivery you can and mm -hmm. um, you know ultimately we would like we would prefer that we didn't have a forceps delivery as yeah, there is yeah. you know um, higher risk of trauma there but all, you know actually what they're saying now in terms of the best delivery it's it's choosing your care provider best the best mm -hmm. care, care provider that when you look at their statistics of how they intervene and that is the best way to reduce Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. Intervention on the Can you look at that? Do you have access to statistics? Um, yeah, Ames Ireland would have published something a good few years ago now, um, and it would have shown the diff different statistics of intervention in the individual hospitals around the country. Okay, not from individual to individual, but within the hospital culture. So the percentages of okay. how many episiotomies will be done, that's, how many C-sections. So, so we know that Hollis Street would have the highest rate of C-sections. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and, and in general, though around the country, you're looking at about a third of women um, who might have an episiotomy, okay. um, and a third of women will have an instrument of some sort, be it vacuum or forceps. Yeah. Um, and is that a case that we're not preparing women enough? Mm -hmm. Probably it's not enough. Good. We're yeah. we're doing our best, mm -hmm. but it probably hasn't been uptake, you know, enough. And, and is there so when you're saying there isn't enough an uptake? Is are like are there obstetricians? not necessarily endorsing your method or like are they always endorsing it as a case of the mother yeah. that is going I'm not sure I think then it's probably twofold. You know, I think there is there's a certain societal uh, section there of women that are just happy to be going with their doctors still. Mm -hmm. And now that's changing. And then there are certain um, obstetricians that mightn't back up uh, you know the need or the yeah. more holistic approach okay and um, yeah. they don't have time maybe or they don't prioritize it but I do think mm -hmm. there is a huge amount more coming through now where there is more cohesion right. um, I, I think, think sorry yeah. I think historically in fairness to the obstetricians they never see anything other than the medicalized births so there's a fear factor in their approach that's there very different right, yeah. than like say a home birth midwife who traditionally will be seeing normal physiological birth and understands how that might take three days and how it will naturally unfold in this kind of gentle way usually the person who's getting to the obstetrician he's going to be present if there is some kind of emergency situation mm, or if it isn't going right and so then their idea of like this airy fairy home water birth is like a notion that's like what this isn't the birth that i see yeah, all the time unfortunately insurance and you know they yeah. they have seen things that maybe can happen and they want to avoid them and, yeah. and you know so that has an influence there as well so it's all it's you know it's it's uh, it's an adventure for women in many a way um but it's about trying to set women up to have the best possible outcome yeah. for them yeah. within their circumstances it's, it's such an interesting area where i mean i don't think as a guy apart from maybe choices in where I buy a house, what colour I paint is. Like, I don't have that many choices to make, but you know, like, I have to, like, really make them myself and sit, you know, career choice things, but you don't have kind of, like, such a, like, a really vital set of decisions that all have to, like, every law attorney is going, so what would you like? And you're like, I can't, it's really making me understand how much responsibility is there in mother, like, how difficult it is to, to it's like taking on a new career, essentially, like, there's so much to get to know. And, like, you're living with the body for 20 or 30 years without having to think of it, and then suddenly being required to go, what would you prefer this, or for this, or for this, or this, and then, you know, having yeah. only a certain amount of touch points and reference points and books and, and friends to actually, like, yeah, give that, no, you're that so guidance. Yeah, like, that's it's really insightful, like, because, yeah, I think there's huge pressure on women, and I do think I see women on maybe on the other side, and, 
but I did everything, you know, and everything was going so well until this yeah. happened, you know, and I, I, I did all the stuff and, and, and still maybe I didn't get that, you know, perfect delivery I wanted. And yet there are so many other factors at play there. I do, And I also think that unless you're someone who is living life as, you know, a yoga teacher or some kind of person who's fully living all day long in a position where they're being in touch with their bodies and they're required to be in touch with their bodies most people are walking around not having to be in touch with their bodies they're living in their heads yeah. until they get pregnant and then suddenly there's this they're still approaching it from a head place because yeah. it's like what care provider do i have look at those mm. statistics analyze mm. do all these things mm. and then suddenly that gets to the point of literally the second stage of labor where the baby's descending and suddenly you're meant to go and now i open and release and like how are you meant to go from this place where you're like head 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 yeah. head yeah. suddenly into like airy fairy hippie person like oh, it's a huge yeah. jump to go oh, through and i think we need to like as a system that jump has to be taken like way back before you're pregnant like yeah. we all need to get back in touch with being grounded and being more physically aware of our, body, yeah. our bodies i mean most people you say in a class you know stand with your feet hip width and they're thinking this wide part this is my hip here this widest part of my hip oh, yeah. You know, so if that fundamentally isn't understood, yeah. then to, to jump from there into suddenly being pregnant and being able yeah. to go like, yeah, I know where my pelvic floor is and yeah. this is all going to be, I'm going to be able to relax it. I mean, these things are subtle. And that's why for me, I think it's really important for women to understand why, what it would look like if they come in here and they're seeing you for an internal. Yeah. Because when I'm trying to talk to them about it, and I came when I was pregnant and then I came postnatally mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. and I would be someone obviously who's kind of relaxed about this stuff, and obviously yeah. I would talk about vagina and all these areas really yeah. Yeah. easily. But still, like, I don't enjoy going for a smear test, and that mm -hmm. holds fear. And for most of us who've ever had a smear test, you know they're using this cold, probably metal speculum with not enough lubricant on the top of it. Your legs are in this uncomfortable position, and it's really quite sore especially if you're narrow in there it's really sore and you're just it's undignified and it's kind of horrible and I think a lot of us hold tension in our pelvic floor and in our vaginas from past traumas from either sexual experiences or from yeah. you know experiences with doctors and gynecologists from that and so then when you try to explain to people well actually you know they they're going to be working on you internally and, and explaining to you how does your pelvic floor work and showing you the tight bits they're like what I'm going to yeah. take my clothes off in front of this person. They're going to stick their fingers inside me. No yeah. chance. Yeah. And the reality is it isn't, it is like that. I mean, the physicality is, yes, that's mm. going to happen. Mm. But it's just so much more natural and mm. gentle and holistic, 100% here. And my experience was, you know, Maeve, I came to see Maeve and she was yeah. so warm, so friendly, so relaxed. And I, it wasn't like I felt really uncomfortable, take off all my clothes yeah. and she turns around and we're all very weird about the fact that I'm naked. It was just like, hey, look, we're both women. This is what's going to be happening. There was loads of lubricant. So there was no, there wasn't like, it didn't feel the same way as when you're getting your smear test. It just wasn't painful like that. And it was so informative to have someone actually physically put their hand on it on a tight spot and show me yeah well when you breathed out then it didn't relax actually yeah. and then oh well well done you did it then and you can feel because you've got feedback against that muscle it's so much easier to do it yeah. and I just maybe you could just run through in brief like what it would look like for someone to come in and how yeah. would that work yeah so when somebody comes for their first women's health appointment um, they will come into us for an hour so uh, the thing I like about that is being given the time at the beginning to just build a rapport with someone you know and so I would generally spend up to 20 minutes 
just getting to know somebody, you know, um, getting to know their history, um, what's brought them to this point and just making them feel comfortable and trying to just get a feel of the type of person they are because the second part is a more kind of, I suppose, intimate um, assessment. I think once somebody has decided to actually come in, they sometimes are aware of what's ahead of them, and then other times they actually aren't. Because mm. um, if they haven't asked on the phone, they don't. You know, they might have had an idea, but they're not really <laughs> sure what's ahead of them. Um, and our ultimate goal is to make somebody feel comfortable what what's about to happen will always explain why we're doing something and when they're talking to me i'm looking for clues as to what it is i'm going to find and more than any other physio approach we'll be looking for the um the issues that might be in there and then so when we're embarking on the assessment i'm letting somebody know okay this is gonna this is how we're going to um, approach it i'll often show them the pelvis and um essentially when we assess somebody internally we'll be using our finger to palpate the muscles on either side very gently um you know and like you said it's not aggressive in any, mm -hmm. any way and it's informative because it's like a deep dark cavern in there for so many women. I mean, yeah. they find it hard, a lot of us, they, I'm saying they, but a lot of us find it hard to connect with our external sexual organs, yeah. never mind internally. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, I've had a pelvic floor assessment and I couldn't believe, like you said, ah, oh, God, there's my pain or there's yeah. my tightness back there. And I had no awareness of that. Wow. And then you leave with this whole other part of you having been opened up and mm. you're going gosh you know like okay i knew my arm moved in and out and now i have an awareness of a muscle in there that i uh, that does so much for me yeah. Yeah. Um, that you know now and, and and deservedly so that we should give that attention if we you know uh if we want to bring the best out in our bodies yeah. i do believe that anyway mm. and it, it seems like an unusual pro uh, thing to do but I suppose it's the only way that we have is the gold standard. We do have options to do ultrasound externally, but from my experience in doing the internal exam, there's something about an internal exam that just brings way more awareness yeah. for a woman to that area. And, you know... I think, sorry, sorry yeah. we've got in so many things, even when people ask, like, close their eyes and touch their nose, you know, that proprioception stuff. Proprioception, absolutely. Just like, we're so far off even when yeah. we think we're on. Like, That's so, it, so absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, Often we don't even know where our feet are with relation to yeah. our hips, you know, so how would we know um, what's going on in here? And we keep, you know, all the, the education is there and, the, you know, the leaflets are given out, you know, do your pelvic floor exercises, they've been shown to not work. And mm. um, so we need to take it to the next level if we'd like to empower women to educate them. And education is at the root of it all when it comes totally. to healthcare. We know that, you know, you give somebody all the information and you, you, you motivate them, you inspire them to go, oh, right, so you're saying if I do this, this and this, that's going to change. And if we have a benchmark and we can reassess it, then it gives them a goal. And um, I think also you know, when, you ha when you build a relationship in pregnancy, okay, so it's giving you that preparation for your birth, but if you do tear or if you do have prolapse or if you do have incontinence afterwards or 
pain or any of these things, it gives you a much easier in to come back to that oh, same wow. friendly mm-hmm. face afterwards and go, because it's shy making. A lot of the stuff that happens postnatally is stuff oh. that we don't feel comfortable to talk about. Like if yeah. you are in, having incontinence or sex is really painful yeah. Yeah. or you're having kind of pulling from where your scar yeah. is or you have cystitis type feelings or any of those millions of them. Oh, but they're things that we don't want to talk about but and we're really shy. You know, totally. And so many women come in to me being terribly isolated and often kind of, you know, dismissed yeah. really because of, I suppose, lack of resources and maybe not validated in what they're feeling or what's worth is thinking this is actually the way it should, should be, be feeling. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like a very low bar for expectations. Yeah. Like, totally. Yeah. Ex- expect a fairly yeah. trauma post this thing. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. if you're not better in like a couple of years, We'll then start to but yeah, but we need to change that. How many yeah. times have you been told, you and have you heard, women say, and I remember being told it by my mom and hearing people talk about it when we were little, oh sure you never jump on a trampoline again after you've given birth. Oh yeah. And like I everyone, know, yeah. you've, heard, yeah. you've heard it a thousand yeah, yeah. times and you just take it in and go, oh, well that's what happens. Because trampolines. Exactly. But laughing, you know, but laughing. A laughing or sneezing or yeah, any of these yeah, things. And it's yeah. just kind of like, oh yeah, well when you've had a baby, sure that. Mm-hmm. But even when you think about how that goes in on a deeper level, it's the same thing like when we approach our sexual health postnatally. Mm-hmm. You hear all these things, like when you're pregnant, of like, oh yeah, and everything gets really loose and really flappy, and then the head's going to come out, and you're just going to have this massive big vagina, and it's never sex is never going to be the same again. Or if someone has a C-section, well, at least it didn't ruin your vagina. And you're like, well, hang on, how come we're being fed this? And yet, loads of people go on to have great sex lives afterwards, and probably better because they've actually learned where is this thing, what is going on here, and having some connection with themselves. But like. We're never going to get to that place of feeling like we can be empowered postnatally and we can come back into knowing like, well, actually all these different varieties of normal is normal, but how long does it take? And I remember my midwife saying to me, like, it's a year, at least a year before Mm. stuff starts to settle back down again. And that gave me a really good, because I felt I had this expectation of six weeks, you know, like we've heard, you don't have sex for six weeks, which all you hear really is, I can have sex in six weeks. And there was no way I was ready to have sex after six weeks. I mean, no way. And I had a second degree tear, and it wasn't anything to do with that. It was just like there had been so much trauma there, and I had a great birth, but still, like, to relate to yourself and understand like how is sex going to look afterwards and maybe it's going to look very different in the beginning but that just like that penetrative sex doesn't have to be the way yeah. initially yeah. and i think when you're informed and when you're getting to know about the pelvic floor and you're relating to yourself and maybe you're going away and feeling and touching and understanding it gives us the capacity to go forwards and go oh, oh absolutely now there's possibilities oh, yeah. that there. and the amount of times that women will have had that that's one of the reasons they're coming into me they're going you know i had this tear and really terrified yeah. of what's you know ahead with I haven't who oh, haven't gone there you know this kind of thing but then they can go out afterwards because we'll have kind of we'll have gone through that barrier mm. and we'll go oh hey that actually wasn't sore for many it won't be for some people it might be and it may need a little bit of work um, but for many won't be and that gives them great confidence mm. and they'll be as I always say you might be pleasantly surprised <laughs> actually it might be you know it but again these are all validated fears totally you know when you've gone through that and you've come out the other side and isn't it lovely to be able to come to somebody that you can openly just discuss these things mm. and not feel embarrassed yeah, you know yeah. about all of the you know these different symptoms that can crop up that are within normal realms of recovery and yeah. um, you know 
and and that can cover all types of things. It might be just pain. It might be different sounds coming out of yeah. the vagina at times you don't want it, or it, it like that. It might be leakage, or you know, and for others. Um, it, it, it could be, you know, fecal incontinence and, and things like that. But it, it, we need to maybe we need to have safe spaces for women mm. to come to to look, you know, to discuss these things. And I think things have come on a lot. You know, even in the seven years that I had my first baby, like I can desperately try. I remember desperately trying to talk to my public health um, care, my you know, my nurse about it, just having issues with different things and. I really felt dismissed yeah. and I did kind of linger on with things longer than I should have because Definitely. maybe I was kind of lost in the middle yeah. of the baby rush yeah. and the looking after the baby. Not feeling heard. And also having your own life getting out like and then every now and then you'd be quiet and go like that thing is still bothering me though. Mm -hmm. so and I think women end up thinking there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Why am I the only one that can't be out there having the drinks with the girls and enjoying myself? Or mm -hmm. why can't I be the one that's, you know, doing a. Like, because there are some people that get up and do a 10k run at six yeah. weeks. But yeah. there's all. I, what, like, I want women to understand there's all levels of normal after having a baby. There's all levels of normal when you're pregnant. You know, everybody has a different experience of these things. And it's about owning your own experience mm -hmm. and, and and getting all the care you need to support you around that. Not giving yourself such a hard time. Yeah. You know. And also like giving yourself that hard time just is going to make your pelvic floor tighter as yeah. well. <laughs> exactly. It's just like a full circle thing, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah. when when we approach birth and motherhood. The letting go, it's kind of the key thread that That's comes through the whole thing. It's like, of course, prepare, do your best, get informed, all that stuff. Yeah. And then go, and now I trust in whatever is coming. In whatever is coming. And that's how we have to, have to go. And I feel like this area of physio is so exciting because it, it gives us a literal physical representation of oh, that. Yeah. And I think it's only in its infancy. Totally. You know, I think they haven't like I said at the start they haven't enough research behind it really just yet um, but I, I hope that it's going to become more normal for women and in like I know this word we're kind of running on yeah. um, in traditional like Chinese medicine or Ayurveda are you aware of like I know obviously in yoga practice internal pelvic floor I don't know how it's referenced but I know it's part of mm -hmm. the practice I remember talking about like, relaxing your jaw is relaxing your pelvic floor yeah. and those sorts of things yeah. and those relationships but is there like so are there acupressure points that people can use for relaxing their pelvic floor? Are there other kind of like, are there other, other, other you know, modalities? There certainly are, and I'm not a Chinese acupuncturist, but I do know that there have been some, um, uh, and I mean, our Chinese acupuncturist mm. here, Sharon, would have helped oh. me through my pregnancy. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, they have a huge influence mm. on blood flow to the uterus. And we can use, we use dry needling externally around the pelvis um, to help with relaxation. There are some of my colleagues that can apply dry needling um, and uh, use acupuncture points around the pelvic floor itself wow. to help release. Yeah, but essentially, when when we when we are applying a technique to the pelvic floor, um, our our goal is to help release with with mm. pressure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, so, yeah. are we influencing um, meridians? Maybe. Yeah. You, know, you just don't know. But there are points there that are going to help improve baby's position coming okay. into delivery and help to relax you generally. You know, and ripen the cervix and yeah, you know exactly. all of that kind of so stuff. those kind of things are definitely yeah. worth investing in if, yeah. if if you need you know if you feel that's what you need going into your yeah. delivery okay. um, yeah 
cool. Elaine, it's been great. Okay. Thank you so much. And that, you know, obviously this conversation could go on like yeah. a million years. So, I'm just starting to read so many questions. Yeah. You're like, oh, um, but if people want to find you, you're yeah. on social media. What's your handle? Um, I'm at Elaine Barry Physio and I'm on Instagram and I'm working here in Milltown along with my amazing colleagues and there's lots of us here, I can't even tell you how many are here at the moment. We're up and running now again after um, COVID and um, back into seeing people um, in, you know, in person. So, yeah. So, yeah, if you want to know more about Elaine, go find her on social media and you do really great videos and little information pieces about pelvic floor, which are yeah, really useful. And even just rem reminders. I mean, they're things that I might have known already, but you kind of forget little bits about yeah. it. And then I'm reading them again going, oh yeah I've forgotten about that thing and you know that's a really good and I think it's a nice your stuff is really digestible for people who maybe are only just beginning to explore the pelvic floor as an idea it's a yeah. really nice so go check out her videos and also always like and subscribe please, please. Um, like don't forget our sponsors new zest and clear light saunas get yourself an infrared sauna I'm sure it helps in the birth process although I don't have any studies done but it's got to um, and, and, and yeah and, and like this is our first like foray back into physically distant like live podcasting so hopefully you guys have enjoyed it being one-to-one -one in a room with the guests is always different we tried this one already kind of virtually and i would say all of us had a you know a slightly less than connected experience in it and <laughs> it was really nice to be able to actually be in the room with yeah, the yeah, yeah, and i got yeah. so much from that chat and uh, and so much to learn it's so nice to have this conversation i feel like being in a room here as well with women who are discussing this openly is a real um it's it's a, it's a treat for a guy you know because it's 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 a it's a world that we don't necessarily get access to and i think it's really important these conversations are had you know amongst amongst the sexes as well that everyone begins to kind of like feel Oh, sorry, just I do want to add that when I came to see Maeve when I was pregnant, I saw her twice. And the second time, my partner came too, and she oh. taught him how to do the pelvic floor massage yeah, on me. Yeah. So just if partners are interested or if you're yeah. feeling like that's something that you feel uncomfortable doing or you're a little bit bigger now and you can't do it, you can bring your partner along and they yeah. can hear. And that's so useful because to hear it from sometimes when you're saying it to your partner yourself, they're just like, ah. Um, but when they hear it from an actual professional, show yeah. And they can show them and see yeah. what's happening. It's really useful yeah. and it's a yeah, nice I've way had, for the I've guys. That happen. Yeah, and it is really useful, absolutely. Yeah, so that's an option too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you, Elaine. Thank, thank you, Elaine. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye.